We started last week a series called Legacy, and I'm going to preach on it again today and then next Sunday. And uh, what, what are we talking about when we talk about legacy? We are talking about what we're leaving behind. We talked about last week how, how it requires faith. If, if you're going to be a parent, it takes faith. We looked at the examples, four different examples in the, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, of parents who by faith, right, receive the strength to bear children, receive strength to bless their children, receive the strength of God to lead their children, right, by faith, by faith. It takes faith to raise kids. It's a daunting job. It's a daunting task. Uh, we were talking before the service with, with our uh, leadership team in our, in our huddle, pre-service huddle. We were, we were talking about how there are some things in this world that are just the way they are, and they're not going to change. Hilton made a reference to that, that scripture. Jesus said, the poor you're always going to have with you. That was one of those scriptures. He also alluded to the, the statement Jesus made that he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that's something that's in perpetuity. That it, it's, when Jesus said it, it was true. It's true today, right? Great harvest, not many people willing to put the work in. So there, there are things that are just locked in. We, we talked about racism. There's this campaign, End Racism. It sounds great. Sounds great. Bad news, probably not going to happen. Why? Because of the wickedness in the heart of men. Because of the hatred, the bigotry that is in the sinful nature of man. If, 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 I'll tell you one place where it has ended, truly has ended, the church of Jesus Christ. It's the one place where there's a, there's a solution to that problem. There should be no racism. There should be no bigotry. There should be no hatred amongst God's people in God's kingdom. God's people ought to be free from that, right? We have been redeemed. Our hearts have been transformed. We've been given new hearts. We look at everything differently. We, we should be looking at them the way that God looks at them, right? And so can, it can end in the church, but it's never going to end in the world, right? There, there are things going on in this world, and no matter what, it's just the way that it's going to go. You know why? Because this world is falling apart. This world is falling apart. And the only hope that this world has is the church, period, the church. And we, we need to understand this. The, the, the church is temporal. The church is temporal. The church is a vehicle that God has set in time, that God has used in time to advance his purpose. His greater purpose is the kingdom. The kingdom is eternal, whereas the church is temporal. We can see in Scripture the beginning of the church, and we can see an end of the church age, right, where we're going to come into the fullness of God's kingdom. The church is a temporary vehicle. It's temporal, but it is God's purpose on planet Earth. We need to understand that. Local church, most Christians don't have an understanding of local church. We need to belong to a local church. We need to be a part of the local church. I, I, I believe in the church. I believe it's God's plan for this, this age. And I believe in it wholeheartedly. In 25 years, I can count probably on one hand, maybe it may take two hands if I really sit down and think about it, the times that I have missed church on Sunday morning. It's either in the hospital or sick 
or the season of COVID where we sat at home and watched the church online, which I was at the church filming sermons in Minnesota at that point every Sunday. But I, I haven't missed church in 25 years. I, why? Because I understand that it's not because I'm great. It's not because I'm some overachiever or something. It's because I believe in the church. I understand the importance of church. I understand the fact that God has called me to gather with the believers. We have a problem doing it once a week on Sunday morning. The Bible says in Scripture that in, in, in the early days of the church, they met daily. They met daily together. They gathered together. The local church is important. Our gathering together is significant. It's God's plan to advance his purpose. It's the local church. We need to come to understand that. I belong to the church. We, we pastored in Texas for nine years. When I resigned that church, the week that I resigned, I went and had lunch with David Cook and said, David Cook, the reason I'm, I'm meeting with you today is because I need a pastor and my family needs a church. We're going to be attending International Bible Church in San Antonio, Texas. And for that year before we moved to Kentucky to pastor, that was our home church. I, I did that because I understand my, my children need to be a part of a community of believers. They, they need to go somewhere where they're, they're, they're learning the word of God together. They need to be in an environment where they see their, their parents worshiping God. Right? We're going to talk about that more in, in just a minute. The, the, the significance of what it means for your children to watch you worship the Lord. But I, I value the local church. And that's been lost. That's been lost. What I was talking about a minute ago about some of the things we need to repent from, we need to repent of our lackadaisical attitudes towards the local church. COVID has worked a number. And really, I, I don't think it's even really done anything to us as much as has revealed what was in our hearts. A half-heartedness towards the church. A half-heartedness towards our understanding of how important it is for us to come together, to grow together, to worship together, to pray together, to study the scriptures together, to have accountability amongst brothers and sisters, to submit ourselves one to another, all these things. I, I love what uh, Mike Lau, I think he's here. Yeah, there he is. Mike taught our men a few months back uh, the, the, the one another's. That are, how, do, how did you say it, Mike? All, all the one another's in scripture, like love one another, pray for one another. All, and he, he taught through that about how we're, all the one another's, all the things that we're supposed to be doing for each other and together in community. The church is God's purpose. The church is God's purpose. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that. So we're, we're going to talk about legacy. What, what is the goal? Why? When we talk about our children, and, we, and we're going to lay, I'm going to, today is going to be a call to action for us as a church. This is not just a Sunday morning message that you listen to and say, wow, that was a great message, and you could talk about a few high points, if you even remember the high points at lunch. It's not one of those messages. This is, today's message is a call to action. It's a call for all of us. I, I want to move our church towards 100% participation, away from the status quo of the American church, where it's 12 to 18% participation. 12 to 18% of the folks showing up for volunteer workday. 12 to 18% of the, 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 the church serving in the kids' ministry. 12 to 18% of the church supporting financially the local church. 
I want to move away from that towards 100% participation. Because if we're not participating, we're not healthy in our walk with Jesus. If, let me say it again. If you are not participating in the local church, you're not healthy in your spiritual walk. If you are not committed to a community of believers, your walk is not healthy. God has not called us to a life on our own. He's called us to be a part of his body, to be connected, to be plugged in, right? We talk about it all the time. Uh, in, in Isaiah, he said this. He said, there's a blessing in the cluster. There is a blessing in the cluster. And one says, destroy it not, for the new wine is therein. That's what Isaiah the prophet said. There's a blessing in the cluster, right? The, the picture is the cluster of grapes. What happens when you remove the grape? Doom, 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 doom. You become a California raisin. As soon as you remove that, that grape, it will shrivel up, right? It will wither. And if you as a Christian are not connected in the body of Christ, you will begin to wither. The analogy Jesus gives is that of the vine, right? It's important that we are a part of the body of Christ. It's an important part of our spiritual walk. It's an important part of our journey with Jesus. And our children need to understand that. We're seeing so many kids go off to college, kids that are growing up in church going off to college, and they're, not, they're choosing not to walk with Jesus when they get to college. Why is that? I believe it's because of the lackadaisical spirit of parents raising kids today. Half-heartedness in raising our kids. I believe that's what's behind that. The old timers used to have a saying, if you go hard for Jesus, then your, your, your children will go hard for Jesus. But if you go easy for Jesus, your children will go easy. There's a lot of truth to that. If we're half-hearted in our walk with Jesus, that will translate to our kids. If we're all in, I believe this, if we're all in with Jesus, it makes a deep impact with our kids. They may act crazy for a day. I did it. I acted crazy for several years. I was drunk every day. For, I was raised in church. I was drunk every day for three years. But I can tell you what, I can remember being drunk as a skunk in a bar and going back to getting down on an altar. In my mind, I'm drunk as a skunk, but in my mind, I'm going back to that day when as a nine-year-old kid, I went down and got on an altar. Amen. There's keeping power yes, in being a part of the body of Christ. There's keeping power in going to church. There's, there's keeping This matters. This attitude of I don't need the church has got to go. It's toxic. It's an unhealthy attitude. Well, we're just going to have church at home with our family. Wrong. Your, your family will not get what, it's need, what, what it needs in that kind of an environment. You need to belong to the local church. Every single one of us. It's vital. It's key. But what, what's our goal with our, with our children? It's just so that they can play. We, we talked about this. So, so they can play church, so they, they, you know, they, they can look the part, they look good in society. No. Much deeper than that. It's, it, it comes down to discipleship. We're going to see that in just a minute. It comes down to discipleship. What is our goal? I see, I see it in Scripture. And there, there, there's a, a lot to be said about this in, in the Scripture. Let's look in 2 Timothy, which is where we're going to, where we're going to start. I won't preach long. 
compared to the Apostle Paul who preached at midnight? <laughs> now I won't preach long. What, what is our goal? 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse 14. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Question, are your children getting enough scripture that it makes them wise unto salvation? Are our kids getting enough scripture that it makes them wise unto salvation? All scripture, verse 16 says, is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, in this, I see a goal for us as a church. When we're sending our kids out there, and we're, we're going to catechize our kids. What, is it, what does that mean? We're, we're going to set a catechism, and our children are going to learn that catechism. Basic Christian doctrine. The truth of the scriptures. They're, they're, they're going to be memorizing them in the class. We're going to send them home with tools to help you as a parent, to help them learn the word of God, to learn the scriptures, to learn Christian doctrine. We're going to send you home with those tools to help you as a parent to be able to do that. But it, it's not enough to catechize them. There, there's, there, there, there are phases through discipleship. Part of it is, is catechism, but we've we got to move them into that discipleship where they're, they're learning how to literally apply that into their life, how to live a Christian life. We've got to put these scriptures into our children. Here's the here's goal right here. From childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise to salvation, for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. We've got to give them enough scripture, and we've got to teach them... How to find Christ in those scriptures. My mentor, Van Gill, he said, you can, you, you can do a Bible study, but if you, if you don't learn something about Jesus, you didn't really do a Bible study. Amen. That's the truth. Jesus himself said that. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me. And yet you won't come to me that you might have that eternal life. So what Jesus is saying there, you can study scripture all day long, but if you don't get a revelation of Jesus, if they don't lead you to Christ, there's no, there's no life in them. There's no salvation. We're actually, we're, we're getting ready to change the name of our kids' ministry. It's going to go from Kids Club to Journey with Jesus. Journey with Jesus, because that's the vision. We're going to put the word of God, we're going to put the scripture in our kids, and we're going to point them to Jesus with it. We're going to disciple them. We're going to teach them how to journey, how to live this life with Jesus Christ. We're going to begin to shape and disciple our kids towards that. The scriptures are inspired by God. In verse 17 in that passage we read, says that it makes the man of God complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is shamed... What a shame it is when, when 
Kids go through church programs. I mean, they spend all of their education, all their formative years in a church program, 12 years. And they leave unequipped, incomplete. Not like this says that they're complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Our goal is that we lay the foundation of scriptures in them, that they come to the knowledge of Christ, and that they, when they leave our programs, are thoroughly equipped, complete. That they can go to a college campus university. I want to turn the kind of kids out that can go into a college campus university and debate the, the agnostic, antagonistic, atheistic professor that's telling them that God's not real, and they can stand and they can refute that with the scripture, the word of God. Those are the kind of kids we're going to put out. We're going to build a program like that. It's going to take some time, but we're going to build a program like that. See, it has to be about discipleship. It has to be about discipleship. Again, we're not churching our kids. We're not, teach, we're, we're not just here to teach them how to look good in a suit, how to sit on a row, how to drop their offering in the plate, how to say the nice prayers. It's got to be about discipleship. It's got to be about discipleship. Let's, let's look at 2 Timothy, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Everybody say, 2 Tim, 2-2. 2 Timothy, 2-2. It says this. It says, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's talking to Timothy here. And he says, the things that I have taught you, find faithful men and teach them that they can teach others. There's four generations of discipleship right there. Paul teaching Timothy to teach others that they might teach others. Right there in that one verse, four generations of discipleship. From Paul to Timothy to the, his disciples to their disciples. Four generations. That's what this thing's supposed to look like. That's what this thing is supposed to look like. You know how the kingdom of God comes to planet Earth? Through discipleship. It comes through discipleship. It's, and it, it, here's where it's going to happen. You know, the, the, the mode that God chose, two things. The church and the family. The church and the family. Not the government not the school board. If you're relying on them to put out healthy kids, they will fail you. If we're going to produce disciples of Jesus, it's going to take a collaborative effort between the church and the family. And we're going to have to look out and find young men and women who we can impart the gospel to. I like, there's, there's a, a qualifier in here. Paul says to Timothy, find, find faithful men. Faithful men. Find faithful men and disciple them. There aren't many faithful men these days, are there? Faithful men. Find faithful men. There are some, but there aren't many. Find the faithful ones and disciple them. You know what, though? There's a whole classroom of untainted children back there. 
There's, there, there's a blank canvas. I like one, one pastor said this way, you, you need to find people to disciple before they get a marriage, a mortgage, or a ministry. Because by the time they get there, they're too busy for any discipleship. We got a whole classroom. And we had about, I don't know, we only had about eight, I don't know, six or eight kids come up today. Usually there's 20 or 30. Right? We, we, we have a whole slew of children that are just blank canvases that we can disciple, that we can train them in the ways of the Lord. It's going to take the church, and it's going to take the family. I said this last Sunday. It, it needs to be repeated. It needs to be repeated often. It is not the responsibility of this pastor, those teachers back there in the classroom, or return church to raise your children. Not our responsibility. I'm not looking to return church to raise Noah, Nathan, Jensen, or Bethan. Rachel and I accept that responsibility squarely on our own shoulders. We are the steward over those children's lives. They're not even ours. The Lord has loaned them to us. I don't own those children. I am a steward. And I have an opportunity to shape those lives for the gospel. I want to have success. It is not the responsibility of the church, but there is, there is a, a partnership between church and family and raising children. We talked about this a little bit last week. We've got to come alongside families and help them as they're raising their children. We're, we're going to do that. We're, got, we're going to talk about some things very specifically here in just a minute. But we, we need to understand this. It starts at home. This thing starts at home. If they're not getting it at home, where the, the family has 2,000 opportunities every year to influence a child, we as parents have 2,000 opportunities annually to influence our child. And if we're not using, capitalizing on those 2,000 opportunities to influence our children with the gospel towards Jesus, the 40, maybe 50 times if you're a faithful attender that the church has to influence your children, it's going to wash out. It has to start at home. Let's look at Timothy again. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. It says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded as in you also, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So that's, that's a presbytery. They're laying hands on Timothy and stirring it up, stirring up the gift. But where did that gift originate? That's right. Billy said it. It's good to see you this morning, Billy. Glad you're here today. It started with grandma and mama. They influenced young Timothy. Now, he became a zealot who was killing Christians, but he had a sincere, genuine faith. And once his eyes were opened to Christ, that, that, that zealous spirit that he had for killing Christians made him a zealous Christian. Right? Where, did, where did that faith originate, though? It was put into him by his, his grandmother and his mother. That's where it started. It starts at home, and dads, you're not off the hook. It's actually not your wife's responsibility to raise your children. It's not something to be put off on, on your wife. We are the heads of the homes. The responsibility falls on us. Eve took the first bite of the apple, but Adam 
stood before God and gave an account. Headship. God gave us children, and my wife's not going to stand before God and account for them. I'm going to. I will. The responsibility is on us. Dads, I, I cannot tell you how important your influence is. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them, and, and we, we always focus on that part, don't provoke your children to wrath. Look at the next part. Bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. That's our responsibility. Fathers, bring your children up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Here's, here's some statistics. I want to show you how important the father in the home is. According to the Texas Department of Corrections, 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in a fatherless home. Let me say that again. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in a fatherless home. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, 75% of race, uh, rapists are motivated by displaced anger that is associated with feelings of abandonment that involves their father. 7 out of 10, this is U.S. Department of Justice again, 7 out of 10 of every youth are housed in a state-operated correctional facility, including the detention and residential treatment come from a fatherless home. 39% of the students in the United States from the first grade to their senior year of high school do not have their father at home. Isn't that staggering? 39% of students, first grade through senior, senior year, do not have their father in their home. This is according to National Public Radio, and it, and, and it goes on to say that children without a father are four times more likely to be living in poverty than children with a father. More statistics, National Public Radio. Children from fatherless homes are twice as likely to drop out of school before graduating than children who have fathers in their lives. Another one from NPR. 24.7 million children in the United States live in a home where their biological father is not present. That equates to one in every three children in the United States not having access to their father. Another stat from NPR, girls who live in a fatherless home have a 100% higher risk of suffering from obesity than girls who live with their father present. Teen girls from fatherless homes are four times more likely to become mothers before the age of 20. U.S. Department of Justice says living in a fatherless home is a contributing factor to substance abuse. With children from such homes accounting for 75% of adolescent parents being treated in substance abuse centers. Think about that. We, we covered all of them. Alcoholism, rape, crime, health, obesity, pregnancy, sexual identity, I've got a friend named Ray Heifold. He's he's aging minister. He's actually retired now, but but for three decades, he worked with people who had sexual hangups, STDs, all that kind of stuff. 
sexual identity crisis. He worked with people like that. He took the gospel to them and had a lot of success. Tremendous ministry. Actually, uh, Kathy Tricoli and Michael W. Smith and DC Talk, they used to raise money for his organization. Very, very prominent ministry. And I, I sat at, at lunch with, with Ray Heifel many years back. He was talking about this, this issue. He was weeping over the things that he had seen as he told me story after story. And he said, Brother Chad, every single time that I deal with somebody in one of these sexual crises, crises the father's not present. And he said, oftentimes I'm called to the home of ministers to deal with their children. He said, it always comes back to when those children are struggling with issues, it always comes back, their father is not present. He's married to the church. Not there for his kids. And so I'm called to, in to deal with pastor's kids who are dealing with sexual identity issues. Because dad's not in the picture. Fathers, I, I want you to understand how important your role in raising your children is. If you don't take it seriously, I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to make any, any threats. I don't want to hang people over a cliff. I'm just, we've we got to have an urgency about this. We've got to have an urgency. It is my number one job. Before return church, my ministry to my boys and my daughter. This job is demanding. It is, I, I work a lot of hours. I don't work a 40-hour week. I never get a 40-hour week. I work every single day. Things come in every day that I have to deal with. But I'm, 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 I, I've tried, and I, I get off track sometimes, but I've done, tried with everything I can to try to be there for my kids, to be faithful. My, my kids have basketball season coming up. I'm going to try to be at every single one of their games. doesn't mean I'm not going to work hard for this church. I'm not going to be responsible with this, this calling and this job that God has given me to do. Absolutely, I am. But I will not let my kids suffer at the altar of ministry. Amen. Job number one. Because you guys don't want a pastor whose kids are in jail and drunk and womanizing. and Right? You want a pastor with healthy kids that love Jesus, that want to serve in the kingdom. It's healthy. It's got to be job one. Dad, you don't need three jobs. Get, get rid of the cell phones. Get, get rid of appliances. Get rid of cable subscriptions. Get rid of something. But don't neglect your kids working three jobs. It's got to be job one. It's got to be job one. I've got more scripture. I, I want to skip over because I, I want to lay a plan. I, I, you want a picture for the church? I'm not going to read this, but I'm, I'm going to give you this. Here's some homework. Go home and read Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. It's a beautiful picture of this thing of the church and family collaborating. It talks about the older men, the younger uh, women, or the, old, the older men and the younger women being examples for the, the younger men and women. We need to cover that sometime. And you know what? Listen, gender roles are vital and important in raising kids. Let me say it again. Gender roles are vital and important in raising our kids. My, my wife and I are learning how important it is for us to be affectionate in front of our children. To hug to embrace each other, to 
kiss in front of them, to, to love each other in front of them. How vital and how important that is. And listen, I understand, listen, there, there, there are broken homes, there are situations where that, that's not possible. And I don't want that to be a knock to any of that. Listen, that, that right there is the reason that the church is important. I was talking to Perla. Perla is going to be leading our, our kids' ministry going into 2023. Perla Epps is going to, going to take over the leadership of our children's ministry. And I was, I was talking to her, and I, I said, one thing that I would really like to see a lot of is, is husbands and wives teaching together in our classrooms. We did that. In, in Minnesota, we, we were able, we, all, all except for one of our teaching teams, we had uh, two, two, two gals that teamed up. They were single ladies, and they teamed up together to teach a class but all of our other classes were led by husband and wife teams. Why do we do that? It was, it was strategic because so many kids today, the statistics, right? Over 33% at least. Some, some statistics even say it's closer to 60% of children growing up without the healthy mother-father relationship in their home. It needs to be modeled in the church. Go and read Titus chapter 2, 1 through 8. And, and in there, there are some very helpful things. Go and study that. If you're a man, go and study that. What it says that we as older men should be as examples in the body of Christ. Women, go and read that passage and look what it says we should be when it comes to being examples in the body of Christ. And we will. We'll come back and cover that. I want to lay a plan. I want to lay a plan. Going into 2023, there are three things that we're going to focus on. Three things. We as a church are going to focus on these things. I already talked about one of them. I'm not going to labor this one, but prayer. We're going to focus on prayer. We're going to focus on prayer. We're going to have more prayer groups, more prayer times. We're going to spend more time praying on Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, this is my commitment as a pastor. We're going to stay down in this altar when church is done, and we're going to pray with people until they're gone. We're going to pray. We're going to be a praying church. We're going to build a prayer culture. And let me tell you this. Parents, your children need to see you praying. In church and at home, your children need to see you praying. Rachel and I, last night at bedtime, Rachel and I were praying. We had our door closed. We were in there praying about something, that, 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 that situation we're facing. We were in there praying together. And Bethan knocked on our door. We, we asked her to wait. And we continued praying while she was standing outside our door. I'm going to tell you what, parents, and we don't do that enough. I'm not trying to brag or anything. We're, we're trying to move towards this more and more. Rachel and I are having this conversation now. We need to pray more in our home. We need to, our kids need to see that. We need to set an example of it in our home. Parents, we need to pray in our homes. Our, your children need to see you praying. Men, men, there, there's a time in, in, in Scripture when Timothy specifically addresses us. He said, I wish that men, and then you look at it in the, in the Greek, it's gender-specific, men, that men would stand, lifting holy hands, praising. Your children need to see that. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul admonishes men to stand in the church, to lift their hands, to pray, and to praise. Our kids need to see that. We're setting an example. We talked last week about being a model, being an example for our children to follow. Our children need to see us pray. So we're going to make a big push next year in prayer. We're going to build prayer ministry. Number two, kids' ministry. We're going to talk about this for a minute. Kids' ministry. And let me back up and say, we are pushing for 100% participation in prayer. Right? 
It's not for the 12 or 18% in our church. It's for all of us. Jesus didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. Right? It's for all of us. I'm going to encourage you. We're going to make, and these things will roll out probably in the second quarter of next year, but we're going to make a whole menu of prayer opportunities available for you, and I want everybody to get plugged into one of them. We need to make a commitment to prayer. Amen? So 100% participation. Number two, kids' ministry. We're going to push for 100% participation in our kids' ministry. In other words, I want all of you to be involved in kids' ministry. You're like, whoa, 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 nah, I don't do kids, Pastor Chad. I'm not great at kids. Like little kids, I, I can do okay with teenagers. I'm not great at kids. I led a kids' ministry. I was the children's director in Minnesota for two years. If I can do that, you can work security in our kids' department. You can show up to help create these beautiful uh, classrooms and stuff that they, they, they designed down there. You, you can help to lead worship for our kids. You can get plugged in somehow to help our kids. H- how can we do, how, how can we get involved in kids' ministry? We need teachers and we need aides. Teachers' aides. Can you do that? If you've got a gift, I want you to see me. Security team. Construction and decor. You can volunteer. We're going to have we're going to have volunteer out, or, or we're going to have outreaches. I don't know if we're doing VBS next summer. If if we don't, we're going to replace it with some other uh, very unique outreach opportunities. We're we're talking that through, and I've given uh, Perla some license there to to be effective at reaching kids. But when you see those opportunities arise, volunteer for them. How, how many of you served in VBS this past summer? Pretty, pretty good group. We, we had over 50 volunteer last year, this past summer. Actually, the last two summers, we've had over 50 people volunteer for VBS. Right, so if we do VBS, get plugged in. If we do some kind of other outreaches to kids, get plugged into those. Right? How, how about this? Adopt. Or become a mentor. We're, we're going to make opportunities. We're, we're going to create... And I don't know how we're going to do this. A way to communicate to you about activities or, that are going on with our kids. Football games. We, we, may, we may end up being a bulletin board where we stick up, uh, you know, we use Noah for an example. Noah's basketball schedule. Or little Johnny's band schedule. Or, hey, here's their theatric pr- presentation at their school. I would love for grandparents to adopt kids. Our big brothers, big sisters type things. Will you come alongside? I'm not, I'm not, we're not going to let anybody overstep any kind of parental bounds and cross lines. But where you become friends with parents and you help to impart and share. and Maybe, maybe there's kids that don't have things, parents that don't have financial resources to give things to their kids at certain times of the year. And you can step in there and help. Adopt. And how about real, legitimate Adoption. You know, there are 13,000, 13,000 children right now in the state of Indiana that are in, in, in the, uh, the, the fostering adoptive system that need homes. 13,000 children in the state of Indiana that need a home. You know, there are only 6,500 trained foster parents in the state of Indiana. 
It means there's, there's two kids needing a home for every trained foster parent. Think about it. I, I've seen churches that, that take it on as a mission, adoption, right? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an advocate for that. I'm going to be encouraging families in this church to get into fostering and adopting. There's no greater way that we, that we can impact a child's life. So I'm going to encourage you towards that. Give, and, and this is the last one I've got on my list, but, but give. Right now, we, we probably need about $500. We've got a project that we're going to work on. We've got a, a, a classroom in our kids' department that's, it, it was our classroom where they created all this beautiful stained glass, and now it's an empty room, but it, it, it needs to be painted. The, the, the floor, we've got to scrape the old floor off in there. We've got to re- repair the ceiling tiles and things. We need about $500 to do that. So if you cough and $500 falls out of your pocket today, See me. Or if you've got something you want to give, you can give online. You can, you can see myself or, or Steve Manicky or somebody and get that to the office and give. We need some finances to make that thing run. We're going we're gonna to redecorate. We're going to build uh, styrofoam, I don't know, jungle or what it's going to end up being, but styrofoam creatures and structures and a journey with Jesus down our hallway. There's these beautiful posters that come with us. So we've already raised a little bit of money there, but we probably need about $500 over the next few months to make that facility come together. That, that blank canvas of a classroom that's back there now is going to be our kids' worship facility. They'll go in there. They'll have their own place to worship. They'll have their own music with the lyrics on the screen, with all the motions. They'll learn that. They'll learn about what it means to praise Jesus. So give. How about 100% participation? in our kids' ministry. How many of you would be willing to do something, like serve drinks during an event to our kids, be security? Something. All right? Listen, seriously. Hey, we need some help. If you're interested, like right away, we need to plug some things in. If you're interested in getting involved in kids' ministry, see me after church today before you leave the building. we're, We're plugging stuff together right now as we speak, and we can use your help. Last thing, third thing, and this is the last thing, we're, we're going to make a big push in discipleship. We're going to, especially in this first quarter of the year, we're going to spend a lot of time developing our core team. We're, we're going to make an impartation to our core team. I'm, I'm inviting everybody in our church to be a part of this. If you, if you want to be a part of the backbone that makes this church run, come to this. It's, it's going to be Wednesdays, January, February, and March, Wednesday night. We're going to meet for a couple of hours. It's a sacrifice. We're, we're, we're scaling back our church schedule for January, February, and March so we can focus on coming together and growing as a core team. We're going to do discipleship for our core team. We're going to pray together. We're going to eat. And we're going to learn together. And we're going to fellowship, get to know each other. And we're going to build some relationship and some DNA as a church team. We're going to grow together. That's going to happen on Wednesday nights, January, February, and March. We're going to do that. We're going to make that investment. It's, it's time for us to, to come together. We, we've got to strengthen the nets. There's a harvest. I believe this. There's a harvest coming to this house, and we've got to strengthen the nets. Amen? So if you want to serve in any capacity, if you want to get involved in the media booth, in the worship team, in our kids' ministry, in outreaches, become a small group leader, if you want to serve in any capacity, you want to become a greeter, if you want to become part of a hospitality team, anything like that, Come on Wednesday nights. We need to grow together as a team. Amen? We need to spend time together. We need to get to know each other. I know, I know JR, but I don't know JR. 
Like I, I went to his sister passed last week and I went to her, to her funeral and I got to know JR a little better, right? But we really need to get to know each other. Like you know me, you hear me from the pulpit, but we need to spend some time together. We got to build the team. So that's going to be focused for us. And we're going to build a strong, strong kids team. We're going to put a lot of emphasis next year on our kids and our youth, the next generation, legacy. All right, I'm done. There, there, there is a plan. There's a call to action. Listen, this is not a nice, again, feel-good Sunday morning message. Well, Pastor really preached this happy this morning. I feel like I could run through the troop and leap over the wall. It's not that kind of, but this is a call to action. This is a call to action for us as a church. Amen? Don't be a spectator. Get involved. Get plugged in. It's God's intention. Listen, you're, again, you're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. I believe in the design of God. I believe in God's providence. I believe that God sets us into families. I, that, that's why I don't believe in church hopping and church shopping. There's only two reasons, biblically. So we, we practice in the church culture divorce, and it's wrong. There's only two reasons you should ever leave a church, biblically given. Number one, heresy. When the, when the church gets off and begins to teach something other than the word of God and, and Christ at its center, leave that church. Number two reason is the call of God. It's because God's calling you to go on mission to do something for his kingdom. Only two biblical reasons. We use all kinds of reasons. I'm offended. Lame, lame reasons. We hop around and we have broken relationships, broken marriages. I was reading in those statistics I was, I was reading this week. Do you know why most marriages fail? And all, all the research and all the study, the, they came to the conclusion, the, the number one reason, in fact, 85% of marriages fail for this one reason. You know what it is? Lack of commitment. There's only one reason Rachel and I are together today. It's not because everything has been perfect in our marriage. We've never had any problems. There's never been any adversity that we've had to face. We've always seen everything eye to eye. That's not the reason we're married. We stood before God, and we made an oath and a covenant, and we take that serious. We're committed, and we're still together. We need commitment in the body of Christ. We've got to get committed to each other. Amen? That's how we leave a legacy. Bouncing around doesn't leave legacy. Commitment, steadfastness, endurance, faithfulness, commitment. That's what creates legacy. I've got, a, I've got an amazing, my wife, an amazing heritage. Godly men and women some preachers on her side, a couple preachers on my side, but more farmers and truck drivers and you name it, but they were faithful to the kingdom of God. What a blessing. What a blessing. What kind of legacy are we going to leave behind? 
I may not leave wealth and houses and lands to my children. I want to leave a godly heritage. Amen? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray over you and dismiss you. When you're dismissed, listen, if you need prayer, if you need ministry and prayer specifically, I want you to come. When, when everybody else is going out the back door, you come up to the altar, and I'm going to be here to meet you and to pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. Father, I, I pray that the words that I've shared today don't fall on death ears. This, this burns in me. This is passion. I believe this is purpose. I believe you've ordained Return Church to fulfill a purpose. You've brought us together for a reason. I declare right now that the things that I've been speaking, Lord, you're, you're going to help us. You're going to lead us. You're going to guide us. Collectively, together, we as a church have a vision that's greater than we are. I believe you've called us to do something great for your kingdom. Quite frankly, I have absolutely no idea how to get there. If you don't lead us, if you don't show us, if you don't go with us, I don't know. We need your help. Father, I pray that you would breathe upon the word that I've shared today. I pray that you would breathe upon the plan and the strategy that I've shared. I believe that you've shown me these things. I believe that you're leading us as a church. You're guiding us. Father, I pray that you would breathe on this as a, as a church, Lord God, that you would give life to this. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and, and empower us. Lord, mature us, grow us together, build us. Father, Father, I, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, give us the fortitude and the strength to reject status quo. Lord, that we wouldn't be drawn towards being entertained. but that we would be a people who are yearning for discipleship and prayer and true deep fellowship. And we'd be a people that desire to minister, to serve, to be used by you. Lord, that we wouldn't see somebody in need and rush off and be irritated and bothered. Lord, that our hearts would be full of compassion that we would have an, a burden and an urgency to see your kingdom fulfilled on planet Earth. Father, I thank you for that. I give you praise for that right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.